0: Thank you for listening to the following film's podcast. Today I'm joined by John Allen Simon and Elizabeth Carr of Discovery Productions to discuss Dennis Hopper's Out of the Blue. A kind of spiritual sequel and cautionary counterpoint to Hopper's own easy rider, Out of the Blue chronicles the idealism of the 60s decline into the hazy nihilism of the 1980s. Don Barnes, played by Dennis Hopper, is a truck driver in prison for drunkenly smashing his rig into a school bus. Linda Manns, who you probably best know from Days of Heaven, plays CB, his daughter, a teen rebel equally obsessed with Elvis and the Sex Pistols. Her mother, Sharon Farrell, is a waitress who shoots up drugs and takes refuge in the arms of other men. CB runs away to Vancouver's punk scene and ends up on probation under the care of psychiatrist Raymond Burr. After Don's release, the family struggles to reconnect before the revelation of dark secrets that lead to a harrowing conclusion. Working from the original 35 mm negative restored by Discovery in 2010, John Allen Simon and Elizabeth Carr's Discovery Productions undertook the digital scan and mastering of Out of the Blue to premiere as an official selection at the Venice Film Festival in 2019, preserving Hopper's landmark film to make it available to new audiences. The new 4K restoration is being shown for the first time on the big screen theatrically at the Metrograph in November 2021 in New York. For more information about the screening or how you can find out when you'll be able to see this film, go to out of the blue Dennis Hopper.com. Hope you enjoy the show.
1: Thank you both so much for taking the time to do this today. I really appreciate it. Um, if for no other reason to finally, mark this off my list of films that I needed to see. And I got to see it this week and my God, it did not disappoint. This is such a wonderful movie. Um And I, I think it's finally getting recognized for the masterpiece that it is. And I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how you both got involved in the restoration of this. I, I hate to use the word important, but I think this is an important film that people should know for film history.
2: Well, I, I definitely agree. I mean, it's a little bit, for me, it goes back to the to the beginning of when the, right after the movie was made and it was shelved uh, for two years because the financiers and the filmmakers uh, were in a kind of a, a death struggle that had resulted from the fact that when Dennis Hopper went from being the lead actor to being the director, the movie lost its Canadian certification uh, which meant that it was the only movie ever to play can without a uh, a national anthem or a flag. But more importantly, it meant that all the dentists and doctors and business executives who had invested under Canadian tax shelter regulations that allowed them to invest $10,000 and write off 40 or 50 or $80,000 now, instead of going into a project with a guaranteed profit, we're going in probably with a guaranteed loss of their entire investment and loss of their tax privilege. So, um, I had been a film critic and uh, with another guy, he and I got Warner Brothers to release the rights to us of a movie that they had tested and shelved called The Wicker Man. And we had a big success. <laughs> We had a big success with that, and uh, I picked up another film then on on my own called Haunting of Julia with Mia Farrow and Tom Conte, Mm -hmm. beautiful ghost story from a novel by Peter Straub, and I kept trying to get Time Magazine to review it, but instead of reviewing it, they did an article on me, a full-page article about the guy rescuing lost movies, and I was deluged with all these lost and unloved movies, most of which... Deserved there. <laughs> I hate to say deserve to be lost sure, and unseen. Sure. And uh out of the blue was one of them though and I literally fell out of my chair when I screened it at how great it how great it was and uh uh contacted Dennis Hopper and said, "Look, I'm I'm you know, we really don't have any money, but uh, I'm willing to do what I did with Wicker Man and go on the road with you the way I did with Christopher Lee and take it city to city." And uh you know try to get the word out on this and we had a lot of luck with it in the sense that we premiered in Boston broke the house record uh Dennis and I traveled up to Aspen and got Jack Nicholson to do a radio spot for the movie cuz he was a huge fan of the film and um we eventually went to a few other cities eventually played New York uh where it was the top grossing screen uh and I got Dennis on The Letterman Show, which had been an ambition of his. and But then we couldn't really get any other play dates. It's such a bleak, depressing kind of nihilistic movie, which, of course, I love, being like a Jim Thompson and film noir fan, uh, that we couldn't get other theaters to play it. So um, that brings us to more recently when we did a 35 millimeter restoration in 2010 for the film to be the centerpiece of the American, um, not the American, the French Cinematex mm-hmm. uh, month-long retrospective and tribute to Dennis Hopper, which he got to see right before he became really ill, and which was was really important. And um, then when we wanted to do, we struck two prints. They started to get ratty and deteriorated, and Technicolor isn't doing any more film. So we knew it was time to do a 4K digital restoration. There were no foundations, no one willing to help us. So I turned to my wife and producing partner, Elizabeth, who's great at social media. And we decided to do a Kickstarter, not just to raise some of the money towards it. Uh, We knew we'd have to go beyond whatever we'd raise on a Kickstarter, but also to create awareness.
3: Yeah, it's a great way of creating a community to finding those people who had seen the film either in the original distribution that Dennis and John had done or have a gritty VHS copy from John, when John did a VHS deal back in the 80s. And this f- film does have really devoted fans like Richard Linkletter and Harmony Korine and and Natasha Leone and different people. So Sean they, Penn,
2: they, that's how he got Dennis Hopper for colors, right? I think is he, that, that's, yes. yeah. okay. that's what Dennis always told me now with Dennis, <laughs> you, you, you have to take it with a grain of salt. I've, I've never, I've run into Sean Penn a couple of times at things, but have, have never asked him, but I think, I think that's, I think that's true. I'm, I hope to verify that it's actually a, uh, True, and the in the very near future, as we're doing some extras for the disc release. I, I'm sorry to have jumped in. It was that that was just
1: one of the things that I really one of the pieces of lore around this that's always been very interesting to me. So, but please, the fans of the movie. No, continue. same,
3: and and actually, as as you probably know, Sean Penn named his son Hopper. Yeah. So yeah, there's a big and and as Dennis told John the story, it was when Sean Penn saw out of the blue in that initial run that he was just blown away and John can speak more directly to this, but when he took over directing out of the blue, Dennis Hopper was in director jail, you know, because of the last movie. And so this was his way of, of coming back. And that's another thing that's really important to us because Dennis Hopper is a wonderful actor and he's become known as a wonderful photographer as well. We think he's also right up there as one of the great American film directors. And people know about Easy Rider, they don't know so much about Out of the Blue, and we'd really love to change that. And
1: I I think that with his first two films, um, understanding the context in which they came out improves the experience of watching them, because there's so much uh, reflection of that specific time period. And I think Out of the Blue falls in that also, but there's something that's more of a timeless quality to out of the blue, where I think um, you can watch this today without any sense of history. And I think you have a full experience of it. And with the last movie, without knowing the context of that, I really think that's a more difficult one to get your head around an easy writer, the same thing. Um, but this is a movie that I think it's for as nihilistic as you were saying, and it is something that's incredibly uh, accessible, where I don't think it speaks to that Fourteen-year-old punk rocker in me that will never fully die, and I think there's a lot of kids that you know that are of that genre. You could show this to any fourteen-year-old now, and I think they would find something in there. Or people like me that still have that childish nature somewhere inside them.
2: Well, as a former film film critic, uh, one of the really um, important films in my life was Truffaut's Four Hundred Blows, which is an incredible portrait of alienation. I saw it when I was eight years old so it really, really impressed itself upon me as a kind of filmmaking, you know, I was used to going to see Disney movies and old yeller and things like things like that. And Elvis movies. So, uh, and Hollywood pot boilers and just like you can watch 400 blows a hundred times or 400 times, I guess, uh, I've seen out of the blue hundreds of times and, uh, I never get, I really never get tired of it because the themes of it are so eternal. That theme of feeling like an outsider of wanting to find community of not, you know, parents who are doing the best they can in one way and are also completely screwing up in almost every objective way. You can talk about a talk about being a parent. And I think for Dennis, uh, what makes it such a great movie? He always talked to me. He was a great mentor. I, I don't think people understand how, what a great teacher Dennis was. Uh, Julian Schnabel uh, did his first movie Basquiat, be, because Dennis Hopper came on board as an actor first and helped bring in other actors. And I, I think Julian has said he's learned a lot from learned a lot from Dennis in many ways. And. I think for Dennis, who was kind of an autodidact, never gone to college, told me one of his most important memories was with James Dean between Rebel Without a Cause and Giant kind of overlooking UCLA and envying the kids going to college, wishing, you know, these these movie stars, young movie stars, wishing they were were just college kids. And he was incredibly well-read and incredibly well-educated, especially about art. And I think when he did the last movie, I think there's a quality of over-intellectualization to it. I'm very fond of the movie. I, I like to say about it, it's a great movie if you don't know Antonioni and The New Wave and the okay, films it. that it's so influenced, and Godard, and the films that it's so influenced by. It. And it, it's a really good movie. I'm not trying to detract from it. But on Out of the Blue, he was shot out of a cannon. The director was fired, yeah. He rewrote it over the weekend, started from scratch, and shot it in four weeks. Unlike the last movie, which he took, I don't know, 18 months to edit, he had like six weeks on Out of the Blue, and he created something that is so from the gut and so from the heart and so visceral and primitive and raw that I think it just comes through the screen and grabs you by the throat. Yeah, it it does have that immediacy.
1: Um that it doesn't feel incredibly thought out there is the emotions are incredibly raw here that he's dealing with, and the themes that he's dealing with in this film and the idea that you could take what was ostensibly a family film with is what he was taking on from my understanding that it was a much different film um that he suddenly puts in these layers of addiction and abuse and the cycles of bu- of abuse that you know we only assume the this particular I don't know this circle of trauma that we're witnessing right now has been going on for generations with uh, both Dennis Hopper and with his wife. Just because these are clearly broken people who are raising a broken child at this point, and it's something that I I deeply connected with, even though this is not my experience. The emotions are so honest in this film.
3: Yeah, it's really a film that doesn't lie to you. I think that's why it's so powerful because even in its bleak raw harrowing journey y- you feel that there was that it's their authentic experience and the way Dennis the performances of the people are just so real you almost feel like you're eavesdropping on them and you know it's interesting the uh, besides opening at the metrograph on november 17th which we're really excited which is the the beginning of the us theatrical anniversary re-release. The film opened in France on November 10th. And before that, it played uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit Film Festival, which is very much geared to young people. And a couple of the audience members reached out to John and I on social media and sent us videos of the people whooping and hollering and clapping and everyone in that audience pretty much was under 25 yeah. so we are reaching a whole new generation that'll be exposed to this movie and and they get it they've you know this is like my life how did she know and i think i so agree with you that the movie's timeless and as resonant today as it was when he made it and you know we we're
2: very gratified that the uh that the restoration premiered at the Venice film festival, I think out of the blue may have the distinction of, uh, being the only movie to premiere both at Cannes and Venice. Cause they're, they're very competitive and exclusive. The original 1980, uh, premiere in Cannes and then Venice for the restoration. And I'm, I'm positive. Well, as positive as I am about anything that then having been had our, uh, US premiere selected for South by Southwest. It's definitely gotta be the only movie Can, Venice, and South by Southwest, although that screening got canceled because of the the pandemic, but we still have the the laurels for it. I think that um I think that the movie we were we were very pleased that we got to spend some more time with Linda Manns right before the shutdown. She was so excited about the restoration. Um it was clear she wasn't in good health and she was having a biopsy the next day that proved to be uh you know not good as she she kind of let us know. Uh this was such an important movie to her. Uh, Elizabeth was meeting her for the first time when we went up there uh a year ago February but you can talk a little bit about that Elizabeth
3: Yeah, she she is so lovely. But what struck me is how important this time in her life was, both the role of C.B. in Out of the Blue and her deep friendship and mutual respect with Dennis Hopper. In her den, she has a shrine to Out of the Blue with the poster and with photographs of her and Dennis from Cannes and other memorabilia. And she said that it's the role she feels closest to. And... As John said, was so excited about the restoration. She was so supportive of it. John very gratefully sold us, saved a box of the vintage posters from the original release. The you know the big posters that are mm-hmm. folded. You can see one of them a little bit behind me. It's beautiful, yeah. But Linda uh, signed some of those to help us raise funds for the restoration, and so meaningful and just just seeing her hand. Uh, 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 on the poster and everything it means to her. And she was a very happy person. Her her life with her husband and her children and her grandchildren, even though her life was visited with more tragedy than most of us have, because her husband had had a stroke and she lost a son in a motorcycle accident, but she had such a positive outlook. And John and I were amazed that she's so petite But she has this guttural laugh that comes from the inside, and she just erupts. So it's very, very simple. Out
2: of the Blue is not an easy movie to make. I mean, the more I've delved into it for this, when we're doing the disc release, talking to all the surviving cast and crew, and even for the first time talking to the the fired director, who had been the original writer and producer. It's the first time he's talked about the movie. you know it was a high wire act it's it's just it's just amazing that this movie turned out as well as it did i mean the category of movies where uh the director is fired and another director comes in that are great movies you know i mean i suppose gone with the wind is one of them but, Spartacus, yeah, but i guess depending that's, on your taste well is it a great movie it's a pretty that, good i saying depending on your taste it's yeah yeah it's it's, fine. it's minor kubrick in my <laughs> opinion
1: oh no 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 if if you take out you have to remove the fact that it's a stanley kubrick movie from it and if you put it up against like other films of its era i think it's fine in the swords and sandals epic adventures it's fine
2: I, I agree but it's a sh- i think you'll agree it's a short list spartacus yes, very, is very very short It's a very short list. And I think that, you know, I think that one of the stories I was told again, you know, people have different memories and it's a little bit like Rashomon is that the day they stopped principal photography was a surprise to everyone in the group. They just said, this is it. We're done. And most of them walked away thinking, do they have a movie? Do they even have a movie? And, uh, they found the movie and uh, Dennis was lucky enough to have, uh, he inherited some things. I mean, um, now that I've gotten to know Leonard, Jakir a little bit, I think, you know, there are a lot of elements that survive from what his intentions were, uh, including of course, especially casting Linda Manns. I think that, I think that one of the issues probably was that for a, not not an actor director. Uh, it might have been very difficult to get the kind of performance out of Linda Manns that Dennis was able to get by really being a collaborator with her. He was a method actor and a method director. And he was able to work with Linda in such specific, interesting ways. We talked about that a lot. There's a there's going to be a commentary on the disc that had been on the original DVD release that I did disc release that I did with Dennis and the line producer, Paul Lewis. And he was just so extraordinary. It's one of his greatest performances, I think. I, I He invited me on the set of Rumblefish and some of the other movies he was working on at the time in that same period. And Hoosiers, where he won an Academy Award nominations, playing a drunk, by that time he was sober. And I think that his performance. I don't buy it because I knew him when he'd be drunk. <laughs> and he was trying very hard to get sober when, when he and I worked on the release together. Uh, like, you know, he'd have a drink in the morning and a drink at noon and a drink at two. And it was like somebody taking methadone or insulin. Mm-hmm. He was fighting a disease and trying to maintain. He he wasn't really going on on binges during the time he and I took the movie around the country and very soon after he he did go into rehab and didn't did get mostly clean, though I guess he continued to smoke joints, according to Richard Linkletter, <laughs> who had a joint with him on the beach of Cannes. He talks about it in an interview I did with uh with uh, Richard uh, about his encounters with Dennis for the for the disc. But in any case, you know, this movie was fueled by, I think, frustration. At not having been able to direct for ten years, at a kind of uh, a kind of you know sense of what had happened, what did happen to the '60s? When Dennis and I took it to, to Boston, I'd been an editor of the Harvard Crimson and had reviewed films when I was at Harvard, and I said, "Oh, let's go into the Crimson. You know, somebody's going to want to interview you." Nobody there wanted to interview Dennis Hopper in 1982. Nobody was interested. Nobody. Huh. We'd go to airports and I remember, you know, him saying to me, oh, you know, that girl's looking at us. And I said, well, you know, you're a movie star, Dennis. He goes, no, she's not looking at me. She's looking at you. And sure enough, it was somebody I knew from a long time ago, but nobody cared about Dennis Hopper. That's so He was kind of a forgotten man. And I think a lot of people forgot that he directed Easy Rider, you know, as well as you know easy rider was one of those movies that was such like a phenomenon that it seemed like it just was there that it was such a collaboration of terry southern and peter fonda and and dennis who all got academy award nominations for the script that again it was one of those movies that kind of i think walked a tightrope and found itself in the in the editing room finally and I, I think that's true with out of the blue. You know, to give to give the original uh, writer producer his credit, a lot of the themes are there. Punk rock wasn't there. It had a more upbeat ending. Raymond Burr had a bigger part. It couldn't have had a, a more downbeat ending. So. Could not have had a more downbeat. <laughs> Could not have had a more downbeat ending. But I think that what Dennis, you know, when he heard his friend Neil Young's song on the radio
1: Mm.
2: while he was driving around thinking, what am I going to do with this movie I've now taken on responsibility for? I think these elements just came together in that kind of magical way that they sometimes do. Days of Heaven, from what I understand from from, uh, what Terry Malick has said about it, it, you know it was a little bit of a lost movie in terms of what it was in terms of the principal photography until he came up with the idea of linda Mann's doing the the voiceover and narration and you know if people remember nothing else they remember a lot of wheat and they remember linda Mann's narration of days of heaven and of course how beautiful it is and you know it's it's an important beautiful film but sh- her, what would it be without her narration and she improvised so much of that because she had this kind of street urchin quality that she brought herself to these roles. And she wasn't a trained actress. And I think Dennis saw an opportunity to get out of her a a performance that would be one for the ages. Uh, You know, it was a great casting of Dennis and Linda's father-daughter, one of the most inspired of all times. But Without Dennis's ability to work with actors, he taught, you know, he thought I should direct and was a mentor to me in learning about acting, which is one of the reasons we did this. It was kind of payback, a pro bono venture for his influence and his, um, the inspiration he provided me.
1: Well, I know that we're about out of time, but I did want to. I came across out of blue Is that the best place to send people to get more information about this restoration? Upcoming screenings? Is that uh, I saw that you could purchase the posters on there that were signed by Linda. There were Blu-rays. Is that the best place to send people to get more information about the release?
3: Yeah, that's out of the blue is great. We also have our um, Instagram, which is out of the blue film and Twitter, Hopper Movie OOTB. Uh, so we're, you know, with with the openings in U.S. and France, we'll we'll keep people uh, posted. But yeah, as time goes on, too, we'll continue to keep our website updated with with different information. And before we leave, I want to just quickly add one thing. There's never enough time to talk about all the wonders of out of the blue.
1: No, we haven't even scratched the surface I of know. my notes. It's but, yeah.
3: But the the triumvirate of. Uh, Sharon Farrell, along with Dennis Hopper and Linda yeah, Manns, is sure. so powerful because her performance is one for, for the ages, too. I think John Ethan Hawke told you he he'd never seen anything like that.
2: Yeah, he loves her performance. He thinks it's one of the great movie performances that which which I've got to tell her because she'll be she'll be very pleased. She 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 was one of the survivors of out of the blue. I think it was a very harrowing experience for 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 her. But we also have a Facebook page. What what is it again, Elizabeth?
3: Oh right, yes. Uh, sorry, out of the blue. Dennis Hopper is our is our Facebook, and that's a great place. And that's a way. That's a really good place if people want to direct message us about ask sure. us questions, or you know, if they have a local cinema or outhouse.
2: Uh, Not an outhouse.
3: Art house, cinema. Because we're we're hoping to play this 4K restoration in as many cinemas and indie film theaters and art houses as possible. Because to experience it on a big screen is really something.
2: Absolutely. And I'll just say one more thing: having seen the movie so many times, I'm you know I'm kind of a 35 millimeter snob, like so many cinephiles. But this restoration looks good. Uh, we Looks great. Amazing. I was able working uh, with Roundabout Entertainment, which is an amazing post house that did Apocalypse Now. And I was sent to by Robert Harris, who is the great restoration expert of Lawrence of Arabia and Bridge on the River Kwai and The Godfather. Uh, we were able to bring out details in some shots that were poorly lit because of the the, the speed at which they were shooting that. Dennis would just have been thrilled to see because he was such a great photographer
1: he, he was, and this is a brilliant movie, and I'm looking forward to having this on my shelf. I hope to get this chance to see it theatrically, but the only I just want to be able to walk past and even if I don't watch it every day when I'm looking for the movie that I'm going to watch, I want to be reminded that this thing exists in the world, and it'll either sit between days of heaven and the game or it'll just sit. Um, right next to the last movie. I'm not sure where I'm going to put this in there, uh, how I organize things, but I think it deserves a place right next to Days of Heaven, in my humble opinion.
2: Yes, I I, I would agree. It's her, it, along with Days of Heaven, it's, it's really a tribute to Linda Mann's. Agreed. But thank
1: you both so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. It was a wonderful movie. Thank you for all your hard work on it, because, yeah. man, I loved it. Great time. So thank you.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Christopher.
1: All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Emma. Bye, bye. Bye. Punk rock. Kill all the time enough to
0: figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.